All right, welcome back to the emergency goalies. And you know, we finally got to a softer part of the Blackhawks schedule. A couple teams that weren't, you know, expected to be very good this year. And well, I guess you could say Buffalo was middling. Maybe not expected to be bad, but not great. Anyway, just as we all predicted, the Blackhawks lost all three games this week. So I guess the Lighter schedule did not help, but uh, began with um, Tampa Bay, who, of course, is difficult. They are a good team, even though they don't have their goalie right now, but the Blackhawks did not um, make it two in a row against them. They fought with, fought in there, but they just couldn't get over the hump and lost 4-2. to two. Then they played Nashville on Saturday afternoon, and they just... They just didn't look very good in that game. I, I don't know what you could even say about it. It's just not a great effort. They didn't lose by a lot, but it wasn't a very good effort. And then Sunday night against the Sabres, it was a game they fought at the end. They had a chance to tie it, but they just couldn't get it done, and they lost that one 3-2. to two. So I guess I'll ask you, Michael, a bit disappointing, but I guess kind of what you expect for a young team that's, got some issues yeah the the lightning game uh you know that's still a, a far superior uh squad down in tampa and you know that was it's it's just one of those games where the blackhawks got out talented and they don't they don't have much puck possession in that game and they got caught in their own end uh on multiple occasions and there were a couple of the Tampa Bay goals where you know the Blackhawks had guys out there for well over a minute and either ended up in a penalty or or you know that led to a power play goal or they just put it in the back of the net on five on five with tired guys out there and that's going to happen to the Blackhawks this year um you know, against those talented offensive teams, and Tampa Bay is still a talented offensive team. Uh, I, I think you did see some cracks in Tampa Bay's defense um, where the Blackhawks were able to counterpunch a few times and get some chances off the rush. And if the Blackhawks had another couple of creative playmakers, in the in those transition opportunities, I think uh, they, they yeah you know, they could have made a little bit more of a game of it. Even though they got outchanced, I think they could have um, maybe equaled up in terms of quality scoring chances. But they just don't have that right now, and they they weren't able to finish on some of those opportunities. Then. Going into that Nashville game, I think you summed it up well. It was just a bad effort. Um, that was the one team where the the talent gap was the smallest, but it was the Blackhawks' worst effort out of the three games. Um, just a lot of mistakes, a lot of sloppy play. And again, instances of Nashville just controlling the puck for long stretches and guys getting caught out there. It, and, it could also be like part, partially 
just because it was an early start, it was like an early afternoon game. Sometimes that can mess with the team. Yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, as far as this season goes, uh, you know, that Arizona game is always going to be the, <laughs> hopefully will be the, the, the big outlier for the entire season where the Blackhawks were just not ready to play sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This was similar, I felt, but either Nashville is not quite as strong as Arizona, which is certainly the case, or maybe the Blackhawks shored up a few things at, at, at times, but just not a, not a great effort. And, it, you know, then it certainly wasn't helped that uh, Suterblom had a, a really tough tough yeah. game as well. I, I thought he was jittery. Um, none of the pucks were sticking to him. He was giving up rebounds all over the place, and Nashville was able to capitalize on a couple of scrambles in front of the net. So, yeah, he's he's been struggling of late uh, quite a bit. I think he's had like probably three or four bad games in a row. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, hopefully he can kind of work his way out of it. And it's just, this is just sort of a bad stretch for him. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, it feels like the last, it seems like seemingly like the last three times he's played, at least he hasn't really given the Blackhawks a very good chance of winning. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you come into Sunday's game and I felt like the Blackhawks had one of their, their better games of the season. It was an evenly fought game. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Buffalo definitely has them in terms of talent. And, I mean, they are a deep, young team. Uh, they they haven't quite the, the top six solidified yet, especially with uh, Thompson out for them. But they've... Uh, They've got a lot of talented young forwards. And of course, they've got the two first overall picks on defense. And uh they they can they can score some goals. And uh, you know, at times we did see some of that puck possession, like we saw against the Lightning, where the Blackhawks got got trapped a couple of times. But I think the thing that really separated this game and um, maybe from any game that the Blackhawks have played this year, we saw the Blackhawks counter with at least three or four, but it might even have been more than that, shifts where the Blackhawks had the puck on a string and were taking it to the opposition five on five where the Blackhawks were controlling the puck in the offensive zone. And that is just not something we have seen yes. to almost any extent this season but there were multiple instances of that in this game. And so that was very encouraging to see. Yeah, it was, And that's, that's the sort of thing that I talked about last week, where as we have gotten past that really brutal opening schedule, as we get into these middleweight teams like Buffalo and the, the, the poorer teams like Nashville, um, there's going to be more opportunity for for punchback by the Blackhawks. Yeah. And, 
you just, you, you want to see a little bit more of that. I think it's, that's it, going to be very important for the Dards and the Reichels and, and that where they're not just playing the whole game in the, def, in the defensive zone. They get possession in the offensive zone and get a chance to create in that. And yeah, I mean, we saw that this week. And, yeah, that or I mean, in that, in, yeah, in say, Sunday's game. The game against the Sabres, they, they just kind of couldn't finish off. They had the chances, but they kind of struggled to finish. Like, I mean, the end of the game, they came incredibly close to tying it, but they just couldn't get the. Yeah, a couple of times. Um, Tyler Johnson had a couple of opportunities, um, and then there were a couple of opportunities mixed in with other guys where, yeah, I mean, the Blackhawks, they fought hard at the end. They showed they showed the kind of fight that you want. Um to you know, and those scrambles to to kind of tie the game up, and you know, I think the other um, element that was brought in this game was during that lightning game and during the Predators game. I felt like all of the lines had kind of gone stale, and in the third period of each one of those games, I had called for her Richardson to to blend up the lines a little bit. Um, we needed something different and they didn't do it. They didn't do it Sunday. They did it yeah. um, going into that game. They loaded up the top line with the three most dangerous guys on the the roster at the moment. You know, hopefully Taylor Hall can work his way back into that mix, but he's, I, he, I, hasn't, I think, yeah. he hasn't quite established himself yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, they went Reichel and Kurashev flanking Bedard and those guys had a couple of really good shifts where they created and uh it 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 looked good um mm-hmm. uh i i don't always pay attention to the broadcast but um they did a interview with Derek Plant one of the Blackhawks assistant coaches during i don't remember which intermission it was but uh he pointed out how big of a role Kurashev has been pl- uh, played on that line. I was going to ask that, that he ask was that. the only one that was paying any attention to defense, and he, yeah. but he was doing it very well. Um, but also, Kurashev obviously was also contributing offensively. He's he's been playing a very solid two hundred foot game That's, all season, really. That, that he's been standing out a lot. Wait, yeah. like three games. He really. Um, I think I think Plant called him the. The conscience on that line and uh, i think that 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 was a good label for uh the effort that he was giving uh, he and was always staying the third third forward high yeah. and keeping that line from getting um you know, counter-attacked yeah so well, i can say yeah. I, that i think we I, we both agree that we did not see anything like this from kurashev last year that i i know mm-hmm. i i didn't think He's ever going to be more than just, but he's been playing much better this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have repeatedly called him just a guy mm-hmm. over the years. Um, I still think he's got some limitations in that he's not very fast. He's not very big. He does have a fairly good shot, but he doesn't use it all that much. And while he is a fairly good passer, he's not that creative mm-hmm. um, where he's he's not beating guys one-on-one. Um, 
So I, I still struggle to see him long-term as a top six guy, but I'm at least open to the possibility now that maybe he's just kind of one of those solid support guys that can play in a top six role because he does have a defensive conscience. And now he's he's always been willing to fight along the boards, but he's winning a few more of those battles. I've never really felt like he's effectively gone to the dirty areas in front of the net sort of thing where again i think now he's starting to win a a few of those opportunities and can't remember which game it was it might have been the lightning game or um it was some game last week uh where he he uh scored a dirty goal cleaned up in front of the net Mm-hmm. Um, that's the sort of thing we we never really saw from him previously. So it, it feels like his game is diversifying a little bit and expanding um, maybe just because he's finally physically matured um, at age 24, I think he is now. Um, so that's encouraging. And, and, you know, and he's always been able to make little slick plays from the boards where when he does get possession, he seems to identify, you know, a, a teammates well and, and and get off little quick passes there um i would say that like before i didn't know but now i'm, I'm fairly sure he could be a very good third line player maybe he could get yeah I, that that's always been my view of him is you know he's always he, he's always played 200 feet and but he he's just never really stood out enough where i could see a top six and i thought ah when he if he fully develops third line is probably what you're looking at because he does have a little bit of everything but not really a standout in anything um and now i feel a lot better about projecting him for third line but i'm not completely ruling out that hey maybe he could still he be playing, like a second line like, forward yeah if he develops like he's been developing this year yeah yeah and, and and you know it's important too that he's found a little bit of chemistry with bedard i mean Bedard is scoring goals, so somebody has on that line has to be getting assists, and uh, it, it does need to be pointed out. Kershev has played with no one but Bedard. <laughs> um, you know, when when we were coming into the year, we kind of talked about the possibility that Taylor Hall was going to be stapled to Bedard, and Athanasiu was going to be stapled to Reichel all season. Yeah, that has not been the case. It's actually been Kurashev that's been stapled to Bedard once Kurashev got healthy after the. I think he missed what was like the first four games or something like that. Um, and so Kurashev is, uh, you know, he he's the second leading scorer on the team, which is impressive given the, the the number of games that he's missed. But at the same time, he's he's the one guy that's been gifted with Bedard yeah. ice time the entire season. Um, I'm a, I'm a so you, you, you do wonder just how much of that point production is just, I get to play with Bedard and nobody else does. <laughs> yeah, about, um, about like, it's good to put Reichel up there and no offense to Felino, but he said, I just, you can't have him as a top line. T- I know that they don't have a lot of good options, but I just don't know if you want to have him as your top line winger, but. Yeah, no, I, I I still don't see that that being his uh, future role, but, um, you know, maybe 
this gives you a little bit more of a, hey, can he sort of fill in the Andrew Shaw um, role of being the third line guy, but mm-hmm. when there's an injury or when they do need to blend up the lines, can Kershev step up and play in the top six and find some chemistry with skill guys? Yeah, I think we're seeing that now. So that that's just a you know some nice positive development um, that I wasn't really expecting this year. And of all of the the young players on the team, that to me has been the most pleasant surprise. So yeah, I guess I was gonna try to think of any other good. The power play still. It's starting to look getting better though. Getting better. I thought I thought over the weekend the entries improved. Um there's a little bit better puck movement. Um the 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 top power play unit still still a little off, but again, they, they have been changing personnel so much with Hall and Athanasiu and those guys being in and out of the lineup, Kurisha being out of the lineup early. I just I don't feel like they've established great chemistry on the power play yet. I don't I don't think they feel like they've got the the units sorted out the way that they want to. And hopefully now that Hall's healthy and they can they, hopefully they just establish that fairly soon because we need the power play to produce way more than it currently is. Well, one thing um, that doing that I noticed is when they put Reichel up on the top unit, but they've been putting him like right in the middle of the slot. Yeah, yeah, in the bumper's position, yeah. That seems to be working pretty good. I still don't know about Bedard being on the point, but they seem to be sticking with that, so. Yeah, I mean, they, um, they've they been doing a, a fairly standard 1-3-1 one, one, and using Perry and Felino uh, as the, the net front guy on the two units. Mm-hmm. And... Then yeah, Bedard is kind of switched between the right side and the left side. Uh, you know, in, in the in the three uh, player alignment, and I I think that's part of it too. Is they haven't really decided do they want Bedard to be the Patrick Kane where he's distributing the puck because currently he is their best playmaker, but he's also their best shooter yeah so you know what do they want him in the to bring at or um yeah Ovechkin. um patrick sharp role where he's on the opposite side and getting fed one timers yeah they've been kind of flip-flopping on that some sometimes bedard's got the puck sometimes he's being the the off guy waiting for a shot and i actually like that they have that versatility with him Whereas over the years, I've talked about it a lot where I felt like they got very stale with Patrick Kane always having the puck, always in the same spot. Always on the boards, like, yeah. Yeah, and other teams were able to focus. They they knew what was coming every time. Yeah. And Patrick Kane was always good enough where, you know, they still were able to produce off of that, but it was, it, 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 it got stale. It got, it got frustrating at times. Whereas I think with Bedard, he gives them you know, a little bit more fluidity in that guys will be able to interchange. But yeah, of course, the problem like is right it. now they don't really have that other guy that he can interchange with because when he's got the puck, he doesn't really have a lot of guys to pass to that yeah, can finish. Like that. When he doesn't have the puck, he doesn't have a guy that can pass to him. Yeah. 
There's not so, a lot of secondary options. Yeah, me. it's it's one of those things where you just the, the Blackhawks are still one or two playmakers away from really taking advantage of that positional fluidity that well, we'll solve all that um gives them. Next year when you get William Nylander, right? Oh yeah, that'd work. Yeah, you know, but yeah, you do need somebody like that. Um, whether it comes via free agency or you know, if they end up with another top five pick, you know, hey, you know, let's just win, let's just win the uh, the lottery again and get Celebrini. That that would certainly uh, help oh, in this. So, um, yeah, the, I, the Blackhawks they're 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 just they're missing a few guys yet still, and until they get those guys, they're not going to be able to take full advantage of Bedard's skill set and um, you know things like the power play are usually going to be the last things that come around yeah yeah and it's kind of funny that i brought up william newlander but he's having such a huge year this year that yeah he's timing it well with that free agency yeah so yeah i mean i i do think it's probably one year too early for the blackhawks to really consider that type of free agent deal um i don't i don't think they're looking for their Hosa type deal yet. Um, if anything, uh, if you want to pull it back to the previous rebuild, maybe they should be looking to trade for uh, Martin Havlat type, yeah. where it does give you a you know a, a 24, 25 year old dynamic playmaker um, that can play with skill guys. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I, I think Nylander's 27, 28, something like that. Um, and so again, if you're, if you want to invest a seven, eight year contract in those, in somebody like that, um, you're going to burn the first couple of years of that Yeah. Uh, before the Blackhawks are ready. And he's going to be in his thirties by the time, um, you know, they're ready to compete. And yeah. so that's tough because um, you've already got a contract like that with Seth Jones yeah. where, you know, we're burning the best years of it with the rebuild. Yeah. So um, I don't, I don't think you, the Blackhawks are, are going to quite be there yet. Yeah. Um, I do think what the Blackhawks might need to do um, over the next couple of years uh, is bigger versions of what they've done with Perry and uh Felino this year yeah where you know they've given a 35 year old you know a mid-30s or even late 30s guy like Perry you know a one-year overpay yeah um and so you know I just like off the top of my head I know like Jonathan Marchessault is a free agent at the end of the year and he's a guy that got a late start in his career and then signed a fairly team-friendly long-term deal um, he where he's never really gotten a big payday. Yeah, you give him a short deal for a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, and I would almost be willing to give somebody like that who you know is in his mid-30s but still a quality top six player, would I be willing to give, throw two years and $20 million at him? Yeah, yeah. I think I would. Yeah. Um, they have and, the capital. 
because the Blackhawks got to get get to the cap floor. It's yeah. it, it, they're going to have two options. They're going either going to have to make big overpays like that, or, um, you know, acquire the the Zaitsevs or or the Brett yeah. Seabrook types, where you can bury the contract. Um, and and it's a pretty easy sell if you offer money, and like you get to play with Connor Bedard. So maybe yeah, and, and so I think uh, that gives them that that power um, to, to offer something like that, where it's, it's, uh, you know, Hey, you can make a ton of money. You're not going to win a Stanley cup, but you can make a ton of money play with a great player. And that's why I thought like March or so would might be a, a good example of that because Hey, he's never had the big payday. So that might be, um, you know, something that would uh, appeal to him. But also, he's a guy who has won a Stanley Cup, so you know he's not chasing that necessarily. That to me, that's something that they need to keep in mind because, I mean, this year you look at the roster. You've got Perry, you've got Felino, you've got Hall, you've got Anthony Cu in that, and they're you know they're overpaying all these guys a little bit. Yeah, um, Tyler Johnson's another one where you know these guys are all four, five, six million dollar players, and. You know, it's it's roughly half of the forward roster has those four, five, six million dollar contracts, and then everybody else is entry level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're on very short term deals, so there right. are. But... but the issue the Blackhawks are going to have moving into the future is they're not going to have, you know, five or six guys on entry level contracts. They're going to start getting seven, eight guys yeah. on entry level contracts. So. You're not going to be able to have six, $4 million a year players. You're going to have to have three, $8 million a year players or $10 million a year players. Well, they have, yeah, they have lots of incentive to spend. And yeah, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So I I think they need need to consider concentrating those contracts more into higher level ones as opposed to spreading out, you know, a bunch of $5 million deals. The other thing that, um, I'm curious to see what happens is as some of these entry-level deals start ending and the two guys that pop out to me, right, well, three guys, really. You've got Reichel, you've got um, Radish, and you have Vlasic. All three of those guys are in the final year of their deal. Come January, um, all three of those guys are eligible for extensions. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think they can sign extensions right now. Um, are the Blackhawks going to be willing to invest long-term in any of those three? Uh, I hope not with Radish. I think Radish is probably playing his way into more of like a Philip Kurashev two-year contract where, you know, you throw two or $3 million at him, and I think that's fine. But Reichel and Vlasic. Reichel, I think they really see as a long-term top six guy and Vlasic is starting to look like a long-term top yeah, four I would guy Vlasic money right now I feel pretty confident maybe that's too yeah big. so you know neither one of those guys is really going to be able to establish themselves fully by the end of the year but I'm really curious if they roll the dice on at least one of them and say hey here's eight years here's four million dollars a year or whatever and try and lock in one of those guys and you know injury and or they just never fully develop that 
that contract could come back to hurt you in a little bit. But if they can lock in somebody like that who does become a future stalwart for them at a really team friendly friendly rate like that that can be huge um you know three or four years down the road when they're in contention so I'm those not are the two guys that i'm really gonna watch I'm not comparing, like, to be clear i'm not comparing this but they locked duncan keith into a very friendly deal yes. and that worked out very well yeah and you know and that was back in the 13 year <laughs> contract uh um years you know it is the 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 eight-year max now um so it's a little bit more difficult to do um but yeah i i just i would almost be willing to roll the dice on both of those guys because I'm, I'm 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 becoming a believer in both of them this year um so yeah if we get to the end of the season and they're both healthy and they're both still looking fairly strong it, it might behoove the Blackhawks to, to you know, invest and not just play the bridge contract thing with those guys because you know they they they're going to have in what is it three years now, uh, Bedard, Korchinski, um, and. Uh, one of the other guys um, that's a rookie this year, they're all going to be coming up at the same time. And it's hard, you know, we're all already need to pencil in Bedard at like 12 million or whatever it's going to end up being um, as the cap moves up and up, whatever that high level extension that, that mm-hmm. Bedard's going to sign. And mm-hmm. hopefully Bedard or uh, Korchinski is also going to be in that boat. Um, you know, so I, you, you've got to, consider that uh you know just like Taves and Kane were always on the same yeah um time frame with their with their contracts the the Hawks are, could have a similar type deal with um Bedard and Korchinski so you got to plan around that and you got to have some guys that sign some team friendly deals otherwise you get into the cycle of okay once this guy's contract's up you got to trade him and hopefully find a replacement and the Blackhawks were good at that for a few years um that was the one thing Bowman was able Thank to you. do as, you know, part of the, part of that run was, you know, he cycled out Bufflin and um, Versteeg and a few guys and, you know, they replaced them with Froelich and they replaced them with. Yeah. Um, they could switch in and out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they replaced Bufflin with Bickle and, you yeah, know, yeah. They, they were able to rotate through, but eventually that cycle broke down as they had to deal away Teravinen to get rid of Bickle and, you know, a few other things like that. Um, and it, it's hard to keep that churn going. Um, whereas I think you look at a team like Tampa where they were able to lock in long-term team-friendly deals with some guys. Um, and Boston was another one that was able to do that. And uh, I think that helped extend their window a little bit longer than what the Blackhawks were managed to do. So you hope this time around, you know, they, they're able to figure some of that more out. But we'll see. Yeah. Right, so we went a little bit long this time. So we'll get to the games against Columbus. That's a game they at least would have a decent chance to win, you think? Yeah, that's a fairly uh, 
fairly even matchup at this point where um, going into the year, I would have said Columbus had, you know, a little bit of a, an advantage with uh, Goudreau and Line A and them being, you know, more established stars, but um, both of those guys are struggling and Blackhawks or the, the Blue Jackets are struggling because of that. So um, they're very much at a, currently at very much at a, the same level as the Blackhawks. So that's definitely a winnable game. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will be back next week and I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving out there. Yeah, absolutely. Happy holiday there on. Yep. Um, Michael, you're on Twitter. MJ underscore Ernst. I'm STH85. You can get the podcast on the Apple podcast app and Spotify. And let's see if we can get the Blackhawks a win this week coming up.